So, in studying holy days, we have been looking uh, at the feast that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23. We've studied several of them. Uh, can anybody name any of the feasts that we've looked at? Aaron? Unleavened bread, yes, we have talked about that one. Anybody else? Pentecost, yeah, we talked about that one. Any more? Feast of Weeks. Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's pretty much named all the ones we've talked about so far. So that is the spring feast. The ones you named off are all uh, labeled in Jewish culture as the spring feast. So that's at the beginning of the year. And even Pentecost goes up into summer somewhat. Uh, but uh, they're all spring feasts, they call them. And today we're going to talk about the first of the fall feast, uh, the feast that happens every fall in uh, Jewish culture. And according to the Bible, according to Leviticus chapter 23, that uh, the Old Testament speaks to us about. And the Old Testament is important to Christian believers because it sets the scene for what's going to take place in the New Testament. And I believe... Uh, wholeheartedly that we need the Old Testament to uh, show us the history uh, towards leading towards the future in the New Testament and then it helps us understand it better. So the Feast of Trumpets is what we're going to talk about today. So I, I'm going to put on my shawl and I've got my yarmulke on. So I addressed the little girl down at uh, Orangeburg Church this morning and she took off downstairs because she was the only one upstairs when I first got there and her uncle and aunt was downstairs so I don't know she's about I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old or something so I put all this stuff on her and she ran downstairs and she come back up and she said they said I was a cute little British girl <laughs> I think they told her that she was looked like a little Jewish girl but she thought they said British girl so she said she looked like a cute little British girl so I guess I would look like a cute little British boy and um the feasts that are listed um, pass them out for me please it's a piece of paper that shows the feast and uh, gives you kind of a, a sense of what we're talking about so today we're talking about the feast of trumpets it is known in Jewish culture and what the Jewish person would say if they was talking about the feast, we know Christmas to be on what day of the year? December the 25th every year, right? What about um, uh, Thanksgiving? Huh? She says it's the 24th. Oh. Always fourth Thursday, so that changes by date. Okay. That's true. Yeah, it's probably not even December, more likely a different time of year. So, okay, what about Easter? When's Easter? Sometimes it's in March, sometimes it's in April. It's untelling. So the same way with these feasts on there, uh, they always go by the moon. 
So in Jewish custom, their calendar operates off the uh, lunar system. The, if you got the moon, a full moon, and a, uh, uh, the new moon, everything of their calendar is based off of those moons. So this one would always end up on a new moon, Rosh Hashanah. It's in the seventh month on the first day. The Feast of Rosh Hashanah. Everybody say that. No, everybody didn't say it good enough. Everybody say Rosh Hashanah. Now I want you to look at your neighbor in the eye real serious and say it. Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, it's, it just sounds funny, doesn't it? It just kind of, kind of wild. So Rosh Hashanah, it's the Feast of Trumpets. So in talking about the Feast of Trumpets, I've thought back through my childhood and how I grew up, how I lived, and uh, some of the heritage stuff that I received. So in thinking about a trumpet or the Feast of Trumpets, I was... I went back to my childhood days, and my grandpa would always take us fox hunting. Has anybody ever been fox hunting? No fox hunters in the house. What the world? How can society survive without being a fox hunter? Huh? That's good. You went. So you go fox hunting. My grandpa loved to go fox hunting. It was something that uh, my grandpa just enjoyed. It was one of the hobbies he had that he enjoyed. He didn't have many other hobbies, but fox hunting was his hobby. So he loved it. He cherished it. And he would always take us grandkids. He'd gather us up and he'd take us um, fox hunting. And whenever you go fox hunting, all you do is you load up all the dogs in the in the dog boxes and you get them in the van or the truck or whatever, the car, and you load them up and you head out on a ridge somewhere out in the middle of no man's land. You want to get away from the city. You want to get away from any kind of noise or anything. And you want to be out where you can hear the dogs. So we'd take all the dogs, get them in the boxes, and go out. But the, as a kid, the main thing you wanted to do was have a campfire and eat hot dogs, you know, and, and get like a, 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 we didn't have s'mores. I never ate s'mores until I was, I don't know, until I got with Leslie, probably. I never even heard of such a thing. But we always just ate marshmallows. You just melt the mar marshmallow and get it hot and eat it. That's just what you did. So we would take those and just, uh, it's more like a, a campfire party, pretty much what we did. So, and as we, uh, I don't have enough hair to hold this on. You're supposed to have like a little stick pin that holds it to your hair, but I don't have that. So, um, you'd be out there in the middle of the night, and everybody else and all my other friends like uh, that I go to school with, they would go deer hunting, a lot of them. A lot of them went squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting. So there's all these other hunters in, in school, and you know, as a, as a kid, you don't really understand what everybody else does. You just know what your family does, right? So I was used to fox hunting and go to school, and they said, well, well we... We went deer hunting. Okay, well, that's cool. Cool deer hunting. We go fox hunting. And they'd talk about it. And they, but then they started bringing in pictures. I remember the fifth grade, Jason Bentley, brought in a picture of, of his deer he killed, fifth or sixth grade, somewhere thereabout. And, and he'd killed this deer and had a picture of it. And I, I just sat there and looked at that picture. I think he was from Bracken County where he went to kill the deer. Back then, everybody went to Bracken County. So he brought this picture in and had this picture of a deer. And he had a trophy of what he had hunted. In fox hunting, you never catch the fox. All you do is turn the dogs loose. They go out and run the fox around the hills, and you listen to the dogs bark behind the fox. So you never get a trophy. And it's kind of like in society today, you know, everybody says, you know, every kid, if you participate in anything, there's participation trophies now. So all you have to do is just show up on the ball team and you get a trophy automatically, right? You're just, it's good enough. Oh, you're here. You need a trophy. Everybody needs a trophy. Well, when I grew up, everybody didn't get a trophy. I didn't have a fox that I could get a picture of to take and show off, hey, I've got my trophy of hunting. 
We didn't have nothing. But my grandpa, the older he got, the less he could hear. And this is already happening to me. There are certain things that I can't hear that I know is happening, that, like the clicker with the, uh, your turn signal. I can't hear it anymore. So apparently my hearing, and they told me when I went to work for a company a few years ago, they done a hearing test on me, and I had like so many percent in each year and all that. So I can't hear perfectly well. But my grandpa, the older he got, the less he could hear. So he was driving down the road one day, and he usually drove so slow that he'd have cars backed up forever going down the old Kenny Road. But apparently somewhere along the way, he saw one of those big orange cones, like a safety cone, like on a job site or something. You know what I'm talking about? Just a big orange traffic cone-looking thing. Well, he gets it and puts like a big uh, a rubber piece around the end of it on the small end, and and he put a handle on it, had like a, a handle, like on a door, door handle type thing, and he would put it on, and where we'd go fox hunting, he would stick it up to his ear, so he would have his horn like this, and it would he could hear his dogs running, so it's like he improvised on a way to keep do, uh, fox hunting because that's what he wanted to do, something he really enjoyed, so he, he, he improvised and made a way. But that old horn, it's probably still out there somewhere sitting that he sets and listen. He would sit and listen to his dogs run. And older he got, he winded up in the latter years of his life. He couldn't drive and different things. He would, he still had dogs, and he would go turn them loose at his house. He didn't even go camping anymore or get out uh, far away. He would turn them loose at his house and just sit on his back porch with that big orange cone. That was his joy. He got to listen to fox hunting. And in his fox hunting, every you would go out and do that all night. And you know, you'd end up sleeping and then sleeping bags on the ground and rough, and have a rough night. And you wake up the next morning, but well, some of the dogs were smart enough to come home. Apparently, some of them were not. So they had to have a way to get their dogs to come back home, a way to call them. And uh, he, uh, he had an old seashell. It was one of them white seashells, like a big one, but it's like it's big, probably about six or eight inches big around. And he would take that seashell and he cut the end out of it and made basically a horn out of it. And he would he would blow on that seashell and the dogs knew when they heard that to come home. It was a call to come home. And in uh, as stud studying this past week, I've looked at the, the Feast of Trumpets and uh, had one of the videos I watched, the guy was asking well, why did they pick a ram's horn and all this? But in cultures around the world, everybody used horns to, to call things to come home or to give warning or all these different things that they would do blow a horn for. And uh, Jewish people were nothing uh, particular that they was the only ones that used horns because they found people, uh, the American Indians used horns to blow for different reasons. And uh, uh, the Eskimos they blew horns to, to call different things. And uh, people in the Orient, even the Orientals, uh, blew horns to symbolize stuff. So this wasn't just something that just happened in one culture that nobody knew nothing about. Uh, blowing a trumpet was something that happened around the world. But God said, make a holy day out of a feast of trumpets, a day of calling. So as we're here today, I'm going to try attempt to blow this horn. It's called, in Jewish culture, they call this a shofar. So I'm going to try to blow this shofar. And it might make weird sounds, and it might take me a minute to get it, so don't laugh and make fun, because if you do, I'm going to hand it to you. So I've got to throw my gum away. 
And during a Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah, during the service, they have a, a church service, basically, in a synagogue. They blow this a hundred times during that service. I'm going to try to blow it once or twice or something. So. That's basically what they would do a hundred times during his church service. Can you imagine that? That'd be like, man, over and over and over and over. But it's the feast of trumpets. So it's about trumpets. And God does it so that each holiday or holy day has these special things that they do. And uh, You know, I, I went to a church uh, after I got saved and started going to church, and I went to some churches that would... Uh, Went to remember the first time I ever heard somebody blow a shofar. I went to Kyle Birch's church over in Grayson. They had a big shofar, and during praise and worship, just spontaneously, you could be listening to music, and there was a guy there that would just pick up a shofar and just blow it. It's like, what in the world's going on? I'd never heard of that. You know, not at church. Lord of mercy, what's he doing? So, and uh, it was around at some, and some of those people that are real, I don't know even the word to use for them, felt like it made them holier. Or something greater happens because of the show, the blowing of the shofar, and they did that during during church service. So, I think it's uh, something that we don't have to do every service, but it's something that God told them to do throughout all their generations to never quit having these feasts. So it would be like, uh, say, our new president that just got elected. What if he comes in and says, "I am going to dismantle, and you can no longer have Christmas holiday." No, no more Christmases if for anybody. He just makes a national decree, declares it, no more Christmases. It'd be like, that's crazy, right? How, how can you do away with, with and especially the kids, they'd be like tore up, be like, you're crazy, man. We're, we're still getting gifts, ain't we? Yeah, yeah, because the whole life's about getting gifts. That's what, that's what adult life is like. Just everybody gives you gifts all the time. Just everybody hand out stuff for free. It's just the way it is. Um, so it isn't like that. So um, these uh, Jewish feasts, were for all generations. And Jews still today, if you go to New York City or to California, there's big um, groups of Jewish people. Uh, they, they still have these feasts every year. And there's symbolic things they do in them that are, uh, brings memories to things. So this Feast of Trumpets is always the beginning of the new year. The new year. So the beginning of the new year is not on the first month, the first day. It's crazy because Leviticus chapter 23 says on the seventh month, on the first day, you're going to have a feast of trumpets. And that's the beginning of the new year. So like our new year in the Gregorian calendar starts on January 1st. That's day one of the calendar, right? That's the beginning of the new year. It happens on the first month, the first day. In the Jewish calendar, it's on the seventh month on the first day. 
It's kind of wild. It's different. But the way, best way for us to understand that is about the feast, is about the calendar too, is for us, there's such things as uh, in American culture, we go with the Gregorian calendar, I just said, and the first day of the year is January 1st. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. There's different year, uh, years, per se. What about a school year? When's that begin? August, September, somewhere in there. It seems like it's getting earlier and earlier. It was always after my birthday when I was growing up. My birthday's August 16th. In case anybody wants to write that down, you want to try to remember that, August 16th, because it's all about gifts as adults, right? So, um, so it was always after my birthday, but it seems like it's getting earlier than that now, so it's, it's normally in August. That's a school year. So a calendar year is from January, but the school year is from September. And then uh, in the business world, they have certain things they call the physical. Fiscal, Leslie says. I say physical, but she says it's fiscal, F-I-S-C-A-L, fiscal year. And that fiscal year can run from any date to any date. So a lot of them, like our pension fund up at work, I think is from June 1 through May 31st. So it's always, that's the fiscal year for the fund. So in business world, that's the way they, they run those. And so there's a regular year, a school year, and that's the way it is for this. This holiday begins the new year. Not the calendar year, but the new year. There's a calendar year, then there's the year. So this new year begins on this Feast of Trumpets, and as they, it declares a new day, a new season, because the fall, uh, the fall feasts are all about that the final year's harvest is over. They've harvested everything they could collect. They've planted all their fields, they've uh, gathered grapes, they've done all, all the things that they did, the harvest was over at this point. So this is the beginning of the new year for them because they want to start the year preparing for and asking God for provision for the new year, the new harvest year. And as they're blowing his trumpets, it's always a, a simple thing that it reminds them of how uh, not so good they acted throughout the year. So any Jewish person that during this Rosh Hashanah, during the Feast of Trumpets that they're blowing these horns, it's a reminder, a call for them to come home to abide by the laws. There's 613 commandments in the, in the Old Testament that it tells you. And you've got to come back. And they come back home to these commandments and think, well, I broke that one. I cheated that guy. Uh, there was some guy down the road that he was down on his luck and losing his house, and I bought it for half price. I ripped him off. Uh, because I had more money than he did. I, I'm a crook. God tells you not to do that. And if you do that, you're running against God, right? So we've got to be careful because uh, the Jewish people, they understand that during this uh, blasting of trumpets, it's the day of reckoning. The day of reckoning. Where that God opens the books and they literally teach Jewish people, a, a rabbi will teach that three books are opened in heaven during this time. So there's a book that's a, a holy book of the holy people. This is like for Enoch or, or Elijah or Moses or people that's in high regard with God that God used them mightily. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm probably not in that holy book. of I'm not up there with Elijah, right? Because he went up in a whirlwind of fire, and, and I, I, I'm probably not going to be taken out of the earth that way. So this is a holy book of God's holy people. Then the middle book is for... Pretty decent people. They're not perfect people, but 
this is the book you want to be in because this is this is the average Joe. And then you got this other book over here, and this book is the book of bad people. This is the ones that crooks their neighbor. This is the book of uh, people that hurt people. So you don't want to be in that book. So they, uh, the Jewish uh, custom is to try to, uh, and even Catholics do penance and different things, and it's a it's a works based salvation. So it's according of how you act, whether you're saved or not. So in Jewish culture, they teach you if you see somebody laying on the street and are asking for alms during this season of the blowing of trumpets, even the tightest scrooge that there is on the world would be afraid they're going to end up in a bad book, so they would go out and even give to the poorest to poor because they want to help those people because they want to get out of the bad book into the good book. There is no middle book, really. I don't think in Christianity we can teach that there's a book that you can be okay but you're not bad. In Christianity, I really believe there's only a bad book and a good book. But there, you are going to be judged according to your deeds. It tells us that there's a, a, a judgment seat of Christ where that he's going to judge the church, right? The great It's not the great white throne judgment, but it's the beam of the, uh, the seat of Christ, the judgment of Christ. So when we get raptured, you're going to get judged on what you've done. It talks about jewels in your, in your crowns and different things that the Scripture teaches us. So even Christians are going to be judged. You're not going to get out without being judged. But you're going to be judged out of the deeds you did, but the deeds don't earn you salvation. And that's the scary part for Christian churches. Is I, I love all this Jewish teaching and stuff, but we've got to understand in their culture it's about works. In ours it's about Jesus. They deny the Messiah, Jesus being Lord over their life. They believe because they give coins to poor people is going to get them in the good book. The only thing that could get you out of the bad book in the good book is Jesus Christ and his blood, period. Just as simple as that. You cannot earn salvation. But this Feast of Trumpets drew the Jewish people to try to get them to do good deeds. And as they did these good deeds, they'd end up in the next book they believed. There's nothing the Scripture teaches this, but it's something they, they dreamed up themselves. They conjured up themselves about these different things. So, the old year's gone, the new year's come. There's things that's symbolic. In the church world, we have something we do called communion. Communion has different things that are symbolic. So we take a wafer or a piece of matzah, which is a cracker basically. We partake of that. And then we take of the cup and drink of the fruit of the vine, and that's represented of Jesus' blood, right? So it's symbolic. So in Jewish culture, for Rosh Hashanah, they got a, a thing they do every year that this is something they do. So let's see if you'll go get the stuff. It's back there on the back table. Rosh Hashanah. Hopefully you can remember that. Rosh Hashanah. What feast is it? Feast of Trumpets, right? 
So Leslie's going to give you this. You're going to get a piece of apple, a fresh apple that she we just got yesterday at the store, fresh apple, and she's putting honey on it. So it's going to be kind of sticky. So watch where the honey is, that it don't drip on you. Because this morning at the Orangeburg Church, um, a lady was holding her apple, and it the honey ran off and dripped off the side of it and ran right down her shirt. So she was back there wiping. I seen her wiping off of her shirt. So be careful with the honey, and don't let it. But don't wait to eat until we all eat together. So make sure and watch where the honey goes. So these things are symbolic. Are they starving or what? Rosh Hashanah, a new day. A season of newness. And what these two pieces that you're getting symbolizes, the fruit is symbolic. The apple is symbolic of the fruit or the provision that God has already made. The provision God's already made. So the fruit is the provision God's already made. The honey represents that you are asking God to provide you a sweet new year. That you're looking forward to a better year than you had this year. Okay? So the fruit, symbolic of what he already has provided. The honey is represent, representing the fact that you're asking God for provision or for a sweet new year. How many would like to have a sweet new year? Yes. I want next year's fruit. If you have an apple tree, it would be like this year you got 10 apples off your tree. Next year, God give me 30 apples. Everything was based off of theirs because... In old cultures, it was all about living, sustaining. So you hope for enough food through the year to sustain you throughout the winter. And that's all they did. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to a culture where it was just about having enough to get through the winter? In the dog-eat-dog -dog world we live in, that everything, and we compare ourselves and all this and that, and it's just a mess. What if it was just about God providing enough fruit to make it through the winter? What if it was about your garden making it enough, producing enough? So that might be your job now. It's, this might be representing your job, that you're asking God. Provide me with a easier workload how many would like be like to be stre least stressed out amen how many would like to have a better uh, group of students next year maybe Miss Glennis kids that would mind wouldn't that be awesome Miss Ruby's hoping for it she's like De dear Lord I didn't know this apple represented that and she's going to eat it and be like thank you Jesus for a sweet bunch of group of kids that's going to come in class next year I don't know what you're hoping for or you're wishing for, but I pray whatever that honey represents on this, that we'll receive it, that God will provide. So we're all going to eat this at the same time.
good. Not every day you go to church and get to eat. That's pretty good. So what did you taste more? Who tasted the honey more than the apple? Two? Okay, it's about average of what we've done so far. How many tasted the apple more? I think about everybody else. So if you taste the apple more, that means you're more of the type of person that just worries about what you already have and taking care of it more than what you're worried about your future. People that tasted the honey more, you're more worried about praying God would provide for you in the future. So, um, I'm all about stewardship, and we should take care of what God gives us. Amen? If he provides for you, you ought to take care of it. You ought to be good stewards. You ought to... Uh, I'm grateful for people that's better stewards than me, uh, like Rick Brown. I just think of him because he washes cars, he waxes cars, he keeps his cars they, inside. He'll vacuum, and you go up there, and it, it's like a, a festive day. You go up there, and Rick's just tickled to death that he gets to clean on a car or something. And I'm like, I pull up in a dirty car with dirt all over it, and he's probably like, what in the world's wrong with that hoodlum? He don't ever wash his car. I thank God for good stewards. And Greg Hall's like that. Greg's got his, his car's over there, and the, his garage are like immaculate. There's not a speck on them anywhere. Me and Jason drive around with mud all over the side of them and never wash them. I might wash my car twice a year if it's lucky. Um, but we should be good stewards over what God gives us. Amen. Amen. We should take care of stuff. And I'm not saying to go overboard and be a, a absolute uh, uh, overkill with it, but we should take care of what God gives us. But I pray for a better future. So let's stand. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we're grateful for these feasts, for these holy days. God, we're grateful for the land that we live in and Lord all the provision you've made for us and God I pray for this holiday season that we're in God that there was people in this room that would just be grateful God for what you've already gave them Lord that they would be good stewards of everything you've provided for them and God I pray today Lord as they tasted the honey on that apple God that as they're looking forward to a new year Lord that they would, they would trust you God more than they ever have in this upcoming year Lord, as this Feast of Trumpets, as the trumpet blasts today, that it's a calling home of those that have strayed. Father, I thank you today, Lord, that as that blast happened, as that sound of the trumpet happened, God, that it made people come back home and wanting to live closer to you. So, God, I pray today, Lord, that there's people in this room, that if there's anybody that's, that may have been slipping away from you, Lord, that isn't as close to you as they once was, God, I pray today that that sound would cause them to come home. That it would cause them to seek to be closer to you than they ever have before. God, we thank you for everything you've provided for us this year. And just as the Jewish people do, Lord, we're celebrating what you're going to do this next year. We thank you for provision. We thank you for protection. And Lord, we just pray for divine guidance. Help everybody here be overcomers. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We will be up here with some special people to pray. If you would like to receive prayer.
If not, you're dismissed to go. Be blessed. Uh, love God, love people. Represent God and Bethesda well. And have a good week and come back with somebody with you.